Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. So, you know, I I have got a message prepared this morning, but I I really felt just to share something sort of prophetically um, around what um, I see, and I thought I'd start that off. Is that okay? Um, I just want to uh, rearrange my Bible so I can... You know, what came to me while the church was in that place of worship, and what incredible worship this morning. You know, when you touch heaven, there's an overflow of God's in our lives and we get strengthened in the inside because God is pouring out his spirit upon us. So it was an incredible time of receiving from the Lord this morning. But in that time, you know, I thought of, you know, what is God saying to me this morning um, that I can encourage you as a body, as a church, as a people of God uh, on your fifth anniversary? And I, I really felt to speak a little bit out of Joshua. And, you know, when Joshua um, was given the commission, you know, and God commissions him to go. And in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage, for, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give to you. I believe that God is speaking to you about inheritance, the next generation. Get them ready. Amen. We saw a bit of that this morning. Only be strong. There he says it again. Very courageous that you observe to do according to all the law. And, you know, it's, and I believe that God will prosper you because of your courage. And then I, I went on and I thought of some of the hallmarks that started happening in Joshua's life. And again, right at the end of verse of chapter 1, it says, Only be strong and of good courage. God repeats it. And then, you know, a bit of further on in verse 2, um, when, you know, they send the spies out to the land. And Rahab, in, you know, makes this statement. She says, I know the Lord has given you the land. Isn't that amazing? Verse 9 of chapter 2. I know the Lord has given you the land. So I want you to see something. God has given you a spiritual inheritance to bring the people in because he's promised you the land. Amen? That's an important promise. And then it goes on a bit further on, and it's at the end of that it says, Truly into your hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. God speaks back to them and encourages them again that the enemy is faint-hearted because the church is rising up in its dominion, its authority, and its purpose. So there's something happening in the spiritual realm because you're praying and you're interceding. Then it goes on a little bit more, um, and it says in verse 7, of chapter 3 and the Lord said to Joshua this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel and they shall know that as I was with Moses so I will be with you isn't that amazing you know when God's favor comes upon the church and upon what we do there's an increase of favor there's an increase of blessing there's an increase of the fruitfulness of what we do And I want you to see that. Chapter 4 speaks about memorial stones. Five years speaks about 
the, the five years of memorial that God wants you to remember. You know, the Bible is very, um, you know, very distinctive about memorials and remembrance. Remember what the Lord has done for us. So we should never forget what God does for us because then we'll know where it comes from. Amen. So they put up the, fire, the, the memorial stones when they crossed the Jordan River. At verse 24, it says that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you, that, that you may fear the Lord your God. You see, when the hand of the Lord comes upon us, something heavy, there's a weight of God on us. But that's a good weight because we know it's the presence of God. You see, the hand of the Lord speaks about five because we've got five fingers, speaks about the fivefold ministry, the weight of the responsibility that Jesus said, I will, you know, when I ascend, I will give gifts to the church. And he speaks about the fivefold gifts. So I really believe God's called you to raise up fivefold ministry as a church that's going to impact cities and nations. That's why you call to the nations, so that you raise up those that will go to the nations carrying the gifts that come from Jesus Christ, the head of the church. You see, and then the next thing that Joshua encounters in his journey is he sees a man standing there and he says, who are you? He sees his sword drawn and he says, are you for us or are you against us? He sees the commander of the armies of God. Isn't that amazing? The commander of the armies of God. And he falls on his knees and he realizes just who's there commanding what is going ahead. So I want to encourage you. I believe that your prayer time and your, your times with God are going to, you're going to encounter some things that are going to come from the heavenly realm that's going to give you favor to take your region. Amen. Come on, we've been happy with just a little, Lord, just give me my cabbage patch. When God wants to give us our city, amen. He wants to give us cities. When the revival comes, I don't believe it's going to be church bound. I believe it's going to be city, you know, it's going to break through regions and cities. And the reason I say that is because when, you know, their next move as, uh, as a people of God, they had to conquer the first city was called Jericho. And God didn't give them, he gave them a strategy to conquer the city, but he didn't give them conventional weapons. And I think sometimes we look for conventional weapons, arrows and guns and, you know, things that will take a city. God gave them a spiritual strategy to take Jericho. And let me say to you, God wants to give the church a spiritual strategy to take cities. And I believe that you are a strategic church that God going to release strategies for you that, that picture that pastor james had of those you know people in those shells when it opened i speak that speaks about multitudes that speaks about people in that place of decision making and the multitudes were in that place of decision making today there are many that are in that place of indecision but when the word of the lord comes boom there's something's going to happen and they're going to know something. But I, you know, believe the church is in a time where we have to demonstrate 
the things that God is doing through agreement and through the power of, of prayer in agreement to the purposes of God when we stand united together. That's our strength. God keeps repeating that over the years, over the last two years, we've heard that repeated cry. You know, when the church comes into the fullness of Christ, the unity of the faith, into the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, into a perfect man, into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's what God is bringing us into. And for that to happen, we've got to have some strategy. So I want to speak to you a little bit about strategy um, in my prophetic word, because when they came to Jericho, um, there were seven priests, there were seven trumpets, they had to march around seven times. We know that in the first six days I went around once and they were silent. How about that? The church being silent. Very hard thing to do. In heaven there will be one minute of silence only. And then we'll rejoice. So on the seventh day something had to happen. They had to blow the trumpet and they had to shout. This is what the word says about that shout. I want to just highlight it to you. Um, it says, um, on the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpet, and Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. There was the strategy. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. If you look at Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah was working with Zerubbabel and they were building the walls of Jerusalem because there was an issue with, um, you know, they wanted to, they had been discouraged because they couldn't finish the work that was before them. And we know that Zechariah prophesied and it says the work prospered because of the prophetic word that came from Zechariah and Haggai and the work was complete. But there was a, a strategy that they spoke about. They said, um, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then they said, let's speak grace to the mountain that was before them. Speak grace to it. So they got a strategy there as well. So I want to encourage us this morning that as a people, well, I want to release a strategy in the spiritual sense this morning. Because when you release a spiritual strategy, God weaves something in the heavenly realm. And then it manifests because we release something into the spiritual realm. Is that okay? That's where I'm going with this. So this morning, we're going to shout grace to the mountain that's you know, going to give you the greater territory that God has promised you, a dominion in your territory to take you know, the West Auckland as a city because it's become a city already. And God wants to give you favor. Amen? So this morning, we're going to shout grace to the mountain. And we're going to pull down every stronghold that's stopping you from taking your city. And we're going to pull the walls down. And we're going to speak to every mountain of opposition that is standing before you as a people of God. But what are we going to say to that mountain? We're going to say grace to the mountain. Is that okay? So I'd like us this morning to stand, please. I know this is not conventional, but we're not using conventional warfare this morning. We're using spiritual warfare because there's the next five years is the five years of victory and breakthrough for you beyond where you have been before. Is that okay? So we're going to say in unity, grace. Now don't stop shouting grace until this thing is expressed out of your heart. At least have five or six or seven grace. Grace cries out of your heart this morning. Is that okay? So let's go. 
Grace. 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 Amen. So, you know, whenever you've got a mountain, the word says, cry out to the Lord. Sometimes we whisper when we should cry out for breakthrough. So this morning, if there's any mountain in your life personally, I want you to shout to that mountain that's hindering breakthrough in deliverance, breakthrough in healing, breakthrough in what you are believing God for financially, for whatever you believe in God for, for your life. Let's just give a personal shout to God today. Is that okay? Yes, Lord. Grace. Thank you very much. Keep shouting. Please be seated. Thank you. <laughs> hopefully I didn't scare too many. I only scare demons, really, hopefully. I. So this morning, I, I just really want to quickly share with you. I know time is precious. But I, I want to just go to Matthew 25, uh, 1 to 13, about that. And it really speaks about the, the ten virgins. Some had oil, five had oil, and five didn't. And I want to speak to you around that because I believe it speaks about not the end times. I want to say to you, it speaks to, speaks to me about personal revival, about being ready. And the, the ratio is quite interesting. It's 50-50. 50 were prepared, or five were prepared, and five were not. Five had oil, so when the bridegroom came and the bridegroom tarried, they still had oil. And that really, and I'm, the reason I picked on that, because it speaks about five. Five for us. You know, are we the five that will be ready for the preparation and the coming of God in our own personal life that God is speaking about. Because that scripture starts off, it says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. You see, when it speaks about virgins, it speaks about Christians. Because Christians have been restored and they've been healed. They are you know, called as you know, that perfect bride that Jesus is preparing. That's us. You know, without spot and wrinkle, that's us. You know, all those wrinkles have been healed and set free. The, the ladies normally say amen. We're going to look good. We are being prepared for the bridegroom. Amen. So the five that were ready, um, the five that were not, because the, the bridegroom tarried, they came to them and said, we want to get a bit of oil from you. And they said, no, go and buy some oil. And when they went to buy the oil, the bridegroom came and they missed the hour of the visitation of God. You see, I believe the church has been prepared not for a visitation, which we've been used to, but for a habitation. Because the habitation of God that's coming upon the church is going to be a, a different set or, or different scene of, of revived. God, revive us again, oh my God. That's a cry in the spirit today, that we want to be revived. But not to come and have a visitation from Almighty God, how good that is, and then he goes. If you look at the history of revival over time, God came and he, he tried to revive us. We got revived for a small period of time, two years, five years, and then revival ceased, and we went back to our old habits. 
God wants to, wants to inhabit, inhabit the, the praises of his people. He wants to fellowship with us and relate with us in an ongoing future now. You know, that's what I believe the revival is going to look like. That's why cities and towns are going to be taken. Where in New Zealand will the first revival break out that a town will fall under the power of God and we'll see a nation changed? You see, we have to believe the nation of New Zealand is a unique nation where God's spirit has been promised that it will be poured out upon us and that we are the people of God that have been prepared for a time such as this. I, I, do, I, try, I totally believe that. As we've traveled around and we've seen things come and we've seen things go, uh, last year we, we ministered a lot around Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, we are living sacrifices, being transformed, not conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. This year, the beginning of this year, as I've waited on the Lord, he said to me, revive again. And I feel, you know, the cry of our hearts is, oh God, revive us again. That we will be ready, that we will be a people hungry for what God is doing. And he wants to come in. God's ready to give revival. Are we ready to receive it? That's where the blockage is, that we're not totally sold out to this thing. When that prophetic word came out about fire, let me say to you, the fire of God is coming. We've seen the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but John the Baptist said he will baptize you with you know, the Holy Spirit and fire. And the fire of the Holy Spirit really speaks about an increased flow of the love of God. No eye is seen or ear is heard or entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. God's promising us something greater. The church will be known by the love we have one for another. The people, the world will hunger and thirst after the very love that we see for God and for people. Amen. That's really coming. So that, you know, the virgin bride that God is preparing a holy people set apart for him. It speaks about a consecration of God upon our lives. Lord, consecrate us, set us apart again, that the world will know that you truly have called us and love us with an unending love. They want to see that about us. And I believe they're going to see something very uh, you know, amazing about the church going forward. But I believe there's three things that I want to just touch on this morning uh, that speak about that revive us again, O Lord. One is repentance, one is prayer, and one is, you know, obedience to God. Three things. Lord, we repent. You know, repentance is the, the Hebrew word is metamoya. It means a different thinking. When you go this way and you're walking and you're going a certain way and God says, no, turn around, go that way. You know, turn away from the old life and follow the new life. If your thinking doesn't follow the truth of God's word, you will eventually go back to your old way. God's changing the way we think. Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Because then you think like God, you start acting like his word says we should act. And God is working on the mind of man, transformation of our thinking in the body, because we line it up with the word, 
We line it up with the character of God. We line it up with the way God is sanctifying us and preparing our lives to walk because we think that way. So let the thinking, let the attitude, Paul says, of your mind be like Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thought? If our attitude towards one another was more Christ-like, we would see a lot more healing, a lot more forgiveness, a lot more tolerance because our thinking is like the Lord Jesus. That's why the B attitudes are so powerful. You know, those, it says, you know, there's so many keys in that that I give you that for a bit of homework. Just read the B attitudes again. You know, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You know, we, when we see something, you know, I believe our walk, our prophetic walk, is all about seeing something we haven't seen before. Or we, you know, have this dark dimly over our lives and we don't see clearly what God is saying to the church. We want to see that, Lord. So we turn from our old ways. We put on the new man. We take off the old man and we put on the new man. You know, the Bible talks, you know, at least, you know, 60 or 70 times about putting on. Put on Christ. Put on love. Put on the garment of praise for heaviness. We put on something. So ladies, get hold of your husband's credit cards. Go and buy yourself a new garment and put it on so that you represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Almighty. That's who we should represent. Amen. The ambassadors of the kingdom will walk in the garments that represent the kingdom they are you know, standing there in authority with. So we take off the old this morning. So if there's anything old on your life, throw it away. Get it off. Put on Christ. That's why baptism in water is so key. You go down, you come up. You are a different person. When the Holy Spirit gets hold of you, you think differently because the fruit of your life becomes love. Joy, peace, goodness, kindness, mercy, long-suffering, patience, and self-control. Those things become your new garment. Amen. So God's giving the church a new garment. Number two, prayer. God speaks to, is speaking to the church in a corporate sense about prayer. That means individually, God is driving us to our knees. You know, people say to me, how's the ministry going? I say, oh, Two things God's doing with me. He's keeping me on my toes and he's keeping me on my knees. And if we can be on two places, we'll, we'll hear something from God. Because to go up, we first go down. I've, I've, you know, there's no other way in ministry. God brings us and he humbles us as a people because then we've dealt with pride. God wants to humble us more than what we expect. Amen. But prayer is the key that God is using. Before God moves upon a city, upon a church, upon an individual, he takes us to the prayer closet. And he says, now I want you to pray. That's why at the end of verse 13 of this Matthew 25, it says, watch therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man will be coming. Watch, we watch in prayer. Come on. God wants us to be ever vigilant in our prayer closet. That's why the church is called nationally to pray. This week in Auckland, there was about 7,000 people praying for the city. When have you heard of that happening? Something happening in a spiritual breakthrough across the nation of New Zealand that we are being called to pray. 
So let me encourage you, find time for prayer. In your morning time, your lunch time, your evening time. I'm challenged by Daniel. He prayed in the morning, he prayed at lunchtime, he prayed in the evening. So Lord, let me have time to commit to prayer than, than I've ever done before. Okay? And the third thing I want to talk to you about is obedience. The, there's no substitute for being obedient, no compromise in the obedience to which God's called us to. When God says, run, I run. When God says, stand your ground, I stand my ground. So the obedience to God is a key issue that I, you know, see going forward, that as we follow the Lord, we need to be obedient to the command that comes from the commander of the armies of God. If we hear that, we will see something. Josh, Jonah was a prophet called by God. He spoke to the increase of Israel and Jeroboam prospered according to the prophetic words that came from Jonah. But one day God spoke to Jonah and Jonah was in a bad mood. And God said to him, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go and God's word to him was, Arise, go to Nineveh, for their great wickedness has come before me. God sent him on a mission trip. It was a long way from where he was. And God said, I'm going to send you to this nation. But as soon as Jonah heard where he had to go to, he knew that the Assyrians that were living there were evil people. They attacked the Israelites and they made their life difficult. And Jonah had a dislike for these people and he didn't want to go. So he gets on a boat and he goes to Tarshish to go and have a holiday, drink wine and eat olives. And he runs away from the presence of God. That's what scripture says. He ran away from the presence of God. And I think sometimes we've run away from the presence of God. And we are not being obedient when God says, Arise now, go and do what I've called you to do. Go and speak to those people that repentance will come and that a city will be saved. That was his assignment. And many of us have assignments, but we say, I'm too busy now. I'm got a holiday or I've got you know this to do I've got that to do I can't do it let me encourage you when Jonah got onto the boat and the boat was going to Tarshish the word Tarshish actually means means refiner God was going to refine him but he didn't know that until he got on the boat it says and God hurled a storm at the boat and it says uh, Jonah went down into the bows of the boat and there was a storm at uh, you know and the boat was being tossed left, right, and, and the captain looked for Jonah, and he couldn't find him. So he goes down, and I want you to hear these words. Uh, the captain of the boat goes, and he looks for Jonah, and he finds him sleeping below. He says, wake up, you sleeper. Arise and come up and pray to your God. There's a word for us. Jonah, arise, wake up, you sleeper. Come up here and pray to your God. You see, there's a storm raging in the world and the prophets are asleep in the boat below. God is waking the prophetic voice in the church. Come on, folks. In our lives. He's saying, now I want you to be a demonstration of who I am. You've lost your mission heart. You've lost the love for the people I've sent you to. Now wake up. That was the second time he got that word. So when he comes up to the boat, 
the men in the boat say, let's draw some lots here and find out who's causing the trouble on the boat. And the lot falls on Jonah. And they say, aha, Jonah, where are you from? What do you do? Who are you running from? What's your name? What people do you belong to? They ask him all these questions. And then he says, I'm a Hebrew and I'm running away from God. You know what happens? It says the fear of the Lord came upon those sailors. Hardened men. Sailors can be hard men. And there they were, afraid. And they rowed even harder. And nothing happened because God kept that storm on that boat. And then they came to him and they said, what do we do? He said, throw me overboard. <laughs> Let me say to you, sometimes there's things that God wants to throw overboard in our lives. We're holding on. And we're in the storm and God says, no, no, I want to throw these things off. Get them off you. Throw them off the boat. Lighten your load. God wants to give us light loads. Travel light this year, what the Lord said to me. Travel light. So God wants you and I to travel light. And it says God prepared a big fish. God prepared the fish. It wasn't a whale. Sometimes the story about Jonah is about a whale. I don't believe it's about a whale at all. It's about a fish that God prepared. Jonah ends up in the fish's belly. And from that place, I won't go into the prayer. But look at the prayer that he prays. Oh, God, he starts repenting and he starts calling on the name of the Lord. Lord, have mercy on me. I know that I've sinned. And then after the third day, 72 hours, 72 in the Bible is very significant. 72 elders, 72 languages, 72 uh, tribes uh, of people that God did, you know, 72 curses in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's quite interesting. But it's God's, you know, after Jonah repents, it says the fish delivered him on the shore. And then Jonah, then God gives him the word the second time. Arise now, Jonah, and go and speak to the Ninevites. How about that? How patient God was with him. Arise and go. You see, some of us need a second word. Arise and go. So my word is to you, be obedient. And Jonah goes into this great city. It says that it was three days walk, and his word was simple. Very simple. Forty days and destruction will come. And it says the people started repenting on the first day. And they started returning back to God. Even the king heard the word and he repented and sent a decree to all the people in the, nation, in the city and said repent. And it says a great disaster was turned around. Isn't that amazing? A city saved by a simple word of obedience. If we follow the Lord, folks, out of obedience... And out of strategy that he gives us, we will see some amazing things happen in our future. Amen. And we know that Jonah got angry. I want to finish with this. Jonah said, God, I know that you were a kind God. You, you know, you, you just relented. And Jonah was angry. And God said to Jonah, it's okay to be angry. Because Jonah said, God, I know that you are merciful, that you are long-suffering, that you are patient, that you're a loving God. You see, we've got to understand that about God. 
that he hasn't come to judge us. He is first patient, long-suffering, merciful, loving kindness. He extends to his people. And I believe he's giving us that time, that window in time to extend the heart of God so that people come in and discover who God is in this hour that we are in right now in the history of the church. Amen. That's where we are. God is saying, I'm extending grace. So God's given you grace to extend so that people find the Lord. So this morning, I want to finish with this and say, what is God saying to you right now in your call that's on your life about following him in simple terms? Repent, pray, and follow the word of the Lord in obedience. If you, you know, work with those keys, there's nothing in the future that you as a ministry and a church will expect. You know, you'll achieve great things in the nation of the world that God has opened up to you at Faith Point. And I believe many, um, you know, apostolic and prophetic and evangelists and teachers and pastors will rise up in the midst of you because you're following the Lord. Amen. So be blessed. Be encouraged in all that God's got for you. Amen. No, thank you, James. I didn't want to go on this morning because I know we're going to have a good lunch. But uh, I just want to bless you as a church and that God's grace would be upon you. So I extend the grace of the Lord upon you, that his face would shine upon you, that he would be gracious to you as a people, that the spirit of the Lord would raise up mighty men and women that will follow the Lord in this hour, that his hand would be upon you, that the weight of the Lord and the anointing of the Father would come upon you and that you would walk in the un, you know, unprecedented time of incredible signs and wonders upon your ministry. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.